I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other F words. And I am your host, Mr. Lebowski, Michael Gillum. And I've got Zach with me. Hello. And I feel like I, I, I am <laughs> actually waiting for us to have a true off-season podcast because every time we say it, every time I tell Zach beforehand that you got 20 or 30 minutes of the content, l- l- literally we could talk for an hour and a half solid just on three things that I've got listed here on a sheet. Um, hello, Zach. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I mean, it's it's been an exhausting and wild, um, I guess, since Thursday, I guess, uh, time to be alive, I guess. Because, I mean, I did, yeah. I've done four live shows, two of those which went over <laughs> two hours at least. So I've, I've been talking Titans, you know, feels like for forever all this weekend. I'm trying to look right now. When is the last time that we had a throwaway podcast? And I think it was last year, a true off-season podcast. I think it was last year when you did the uh, interview series where you had Emily Proud, mm. then you had Chad right. Withrow on. So that'd be almost a full year, but that was only just two episodes. Every other episode has been filled with Titans news, Titans information, Titans games, all that stuff. Yeah, I. it's got to be over a year, and it's funny because – the Chad Withrow podcast was absolutely truly a throwaway, and that's not against Chad. It was against me because I picked a place with <laughs> yeah. the worst fucking acoustics ever. My intent of that was to give at the time Mike and then yourself, Zach. Uh, why, why did I say that? Like I'm, I'm talking about you in the third person. Anyways, my intention was to give you two a couple weeks off, a breather. All I did was you know create a bunch more work for you. You had to try to salvage that audio debacle, but um. <laughs> Anyways, where I'm going with this is the first point I'm going to cover is this. If you're listening to this and the first thing that popped into your mind is, oh, well, there you assholes are. I wanted an emergency podcast. I'm going to touch on why we didn't record one. And a lot of it has to do with self, like, you know, retrospective and dealing with not being a hot take artist. So we're going to get to that in a moment. Don't, don't, don't let us think we've forgotten you. But we have to start with AJ Brown. Um, Thursday night, all of us watching the draft were stunned to learn that A.J. Brown was traded before or during the first round. Um, He was traded for an 18th uh, overall pick, an additional third round pick. The Titans used that 18th overall to select Traylon um, Burks, who has A.J. Brown comps, which I had a lot of jokes about that that night. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to get a guy who plays like A.J. Brown? Where can we get one of those? So I was. Furious. Most Titans fans were furious, and that's where I want to and start. Rightfully so. And rightfully so. And and I'm not saying you don't have a reason to still be mad. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I got to ask Zach, because we didn't really get to talk about it. You were doing a live show. What was your reaction? Mine was head in hands. I was to not be, to be To be honest, I almost, I really don't, uh, my life has been such a whirlwind. I really don't remember my what my honest reaction was. <laughs> I think the first thing that popped into my head was something's not right, obviously. Either the Titans lied to us or something went south. And I did end up, as more information come, came out, the, the, my first tweet was, if I remember correctly, it was like something like, I say it isn't so, 
please tell me it's a dream or something like that. And then as it kept going and more information kept pouring out and we got just all this, all this, just one after another trail on Burks is drafted. So my thoughts shifted to him. Oh my God, this poor guy. No kidding. (laughs) He's, he's getting completely ignored and then he's coming in to do all these big shoes. Then it shifted to, Okay, if he's getting that money, because it, it was boom, trade was announced, boom, extension was done, right? And it, it was just a boom, boom kind of thing. And my next reaction was, look, I'm going to miss AJ. I love AJ, but this is the business side of things. It sounds like he's getting way too much money than what he than what he is valued by this franchise. Now, you know, not to not to call you out or anything, because... In our Please group do. chat, in the Broadway Twitter group chat of a bunch of different Titans accounts, was complete chaos. Because of course, I'm trying to do the live show. I'm trying to see what you guys got. I'm trying to see what's on Twitter, and I'm trying to see everybody's reactions because you know, you always like to hear everybody's different opinion because you get to kind of like it's you're not in your own echo chamber, right? You said word for word. This may have just ended J-Rob's career here. Burks has to pan out. So that was Thursday at 9.46 p.m. We're now five days. This will be the, so the sixth day will be when this airs, but it's been five days since that has been sent. Take me through your emotional journey over the last five days over the A.J. Brown trade, and then we'll, we'll get into what happened, how we got there, and the, uh, his press conference. I was furious um, at first. I, um, I really looked at it just from the bold face standpoint of this team just lost a piece of the offense that it has spent, and you can attach whatever time frame you want through Houston Oilers, through the Tennessee Titans inception, whatever it is. This team has spent multiple decades looking for a bona fide true wide receiver one, and you have a man on the field who has already proven to you that he can handle that wide receiver one role. What in God's name are you doing? How is there a price tag you were, you were not able to reach to make this happen? Okay. So that's first off what I'm thinking. That's why I said what I said privately. I, for some reason thought better of it to not tweet it, which should be (laughs) enough to tell myself, this is kind of a fucking idiotic thing to say. What I ended up tweeting. Did you like little, any tweets that said it? Cause I'm sure there was like a million tweets that night that said that same exact thing. Did you like any tweets? I don't, Do I need to go. Do you, are you going to have to scrub your Twitter account? I don't think so. As <laughs> I deactivate my account right now. Uh, no, I, <laughs> but in all seriousness, I tweeted out that I thought this was, I personally thought it was a monumental mistake and that, I felt like we could be witnessing the end of J-Rob's career if this doesn't pan out. If A.J. Brown goes to the Eagles and continues to elevate himself, if the wide receiver one position, whoever that falls to, uh, ends up not panning out for multiple years. Basically, what I tweeted was a lighter version of what I said in the chat. What I said in the chat, along with a lot of explicatives, was I don't know that I can deal with the Tennessee Titans being like, I don't know that I can exclusively call myself a fan of them anymore because they're driving me up the wall and that this may have just killed J Rob's career. Um, So I have since lightened my opinion substantially. 
And I want to stop there and say this. This is actually why I'm glad we didn't do a quote unquote emergency podcast because we talked about it. We talked about it. And I I text Zach specifically and I was like, could you make time on Friday to do this? I think I might be able to do it Friday afternoon. We ultimately ended up deciding against it mainly because of time. I kind of would have been embarrassed on what I would have said on that because my thoughts after my thoughts of night one after the draft were we just gambled on a rookie to do hopefully the same thing that AJ Brown is already currently doing. How can you not figure that out now after day two leading into Saturday into the draft with both extra pieces of news coming out about AJ and the negotiations and the fail of the negotiations and who the Titans were picking. I started to feel a lot better about the direction of this team along with adding more information to things like here's the hot take moment. I mean, do you, do you, do you, do you understand the process a little bit better? Yes. And it's, um, I didn't mean to interrupt your hot take right there. No, it's not that's bad. It, that's it, bad which, podcasting by me. It's terrible podcasting. God damn it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, it's not. You're, you're breaking up a, a, a train of thought that I was kind of fumbling around to say this, which is, We've been recording for how long now, Zach? Almost six years. Yeah. Um, at least five. And one of the things that we have tried to promote ourselves as being is a little bit more of a rational fan type podcast. At this stage in my NFL viewing career, I should know better and do know better about how a front office of an NFL team works. I'm not saying I know how it works completely, but we have been provided nothing but proof that John Robinson does not take this stuff lightly. I don't know if you picked up on it, but during the AJ Brown slash Traylon Burks first round press conference, he almost started crying again. Do you notice that? That's what I've been saying. And you know, there are people the that have, I guess, the emotional IQ of a aluminum foil uh, who said that, us, well, including Vrabel, me that night. Vrabel is distraught, but John Robinson, he looks like he's happy and just living life. He's putting on a brave face, if anything, but you could tell both of them were emotionally distraught, specifically John Robinson and Mike Vrabel. I, I think that, you know, maybe some of these these media guys and everything should probably just take a, a, bre- a breather and realize that there are real human emotions tied to this. This is this may have been a business decision in the end, but it was not a business decision that these two guys taken lightly, obviously based on the comments that they've said all along. And their emotional reaction. I mean, it's just plain as day. There was a video clip, and I I retweeted it too, and I I think I may have commented on it. I'm going to have to go find what I said. But there was a clip Thursday night of John Robinson looks like he has just hung up the phone with um, Traylon Burks, and Vrabel is like visibly pissed, shaking his head. When you look at that at the context of Thursday nights, along with your own opinion, I'm going to use my opinion of that night. Yeah, it's easy to point at a man thinking, I disagree with what my GM's doing. I think this is a huge mistake. And I think we should have found a way to make the money work to keep this kid. Now, and the context we're about to add to this, now that we know the other side of kind of AJ and his team's negotiating style with the Titans and kind of how that piece went down, I look at that video clip different. I look at it as a coach who knows that Yes, he's letting a damn good piece go, but at the same time, like frustrated with just how this is going down. Like, 
I hope this is worth it. I hope what AJ is doing is worth it. I hope that the piece that we're losing and now picking up is worth it. This is a gamble, but I trust the relationship that I have with my general manager because, again, I can't stress this enough. John Robinson and Mike Vrabel truly are lockstep. There are so many GM coach tandems in this league that were either paired together, you know, one didn't come after the other, and they don't see eye to eye. I do truly believe this group sees eye to eye, and I, I believe that now as more of this A.J. Brown news starts coming out. Well, I think what you saw was obviously anger, frustration, like you said, mm-hmm. but there's also a sense of betrayal to all this because yes, Mike Vrabel is... Mike Vrabel and John Robinson both emphatically loved A.J. Brown. They, You're talking about a guy in A.J. Brown that Mike Vrabel has seen mature and grow into a man and a good father, which is specifically what Mike Vrabel said. And Mike Vrabel was under the impression, and John Robinson has been under the impression that this deal was going to work at itself out, and they weren't going to hit any roadblocks. And that changed. Why it changed? We have no clue. Could it be a little bit of just the Jalen Hurts connection and we're seeing a transition to an NBA-style kind of contract negotiations and off-seasons where team players are working themselves behind the scenes to try and get to play together? There's a good chance that that could be happening, happening right before our eyes. But I always thought, I, I just I know everybody thought that initially because everybody's lashing out from a place of emotion. I'm not an emotionally attached guy. Now I am an emotional person. I do get angry. I do get hype. I do get all that kind of stuff. I don't get emotionally attached to 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 things. And so when this went down, you I know in the back of my mind that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, specifically John Robinson, did everything they could to their breaking point to get this deal done. And I think that everybody's being a little bit, anybody who does not think that, now after five days of information, I'm okay with you not thinking that day one, day two, especially after that Teron Davenport article that came out that next morning. Holy shit. Talk about throwing gasoline on a vault on a fucking fire. I mean, like that could have just blown up everything, but I think that if you still think that, that they didn't do what they, they, everything they could. And if you really look at the deal of that, the Eagles gave them, it's a, it doesn't look bad on paper, but it is an expensive deal for the Eagles. And you're talking about a deal because it's an extension. Like everybody's trying to include that rookie year. An extension means that you only include the four years because the rookie year doesn't really matter. The extension, they can get out of it after two years. So it's essentially a two-year deal. But you know how much it costs them to get out of that deal? It costs them uh, $67 million to get out of that after. So they've paid $67 million for two years. That's $33.5 million over two years that they're on the hook for, for A.J. Brown, if for whatever reason he is off the team after 2024, which means that if he's not off the team, they're giving him even more money at that point. Yeah. So it looks like a good deal on paper, but when you break down the math, it's not, it's, it's an overpay for AJ Brown. Now, will it look like an overpay in two years after Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and all these other guys get paid? Probably not. 
Right. But right now is what you're looking at. And right now it's a bad deal. I, I hate that he is gone, but I can see why they drew a hard line stance in the sand based on all the information that has come out and the way that A.J. Brown has talked on the presser in that article with TD. We all know that A.J. Brown requested that trade because he specifically says he was a little surprised they were on board with the trade. That tells you everything you need to know right there. He was these to me that says he thought that he was going to be able to get a little bit of negotiation, maybe get some more money, and maybe he wouldn't get traded. But his camp initiated the trade and the Titans said, okay, well, we'll we'll work that with you. We'll get it, we'll facilitate that. So we've mentioned a couple of times the info that was available at the trade versus what's available now. I kind of want to get into that piece, which is this. Um I don't want to get too much into the weeds about what was tweeted or said or, or articles that were written between then and now, only because there were so many numbers that were thrown out there. I don't want to try to, um, I, I don't want to make this more confusing than it already is. We know that he signed a four-year extension, 100 mil, 57 mil guaranteed with the Eagles. Zach just kind of detailed Correct. it. There were numbers floating out between the Titans were around 20 million a year, possibly considering 22 million a year. AJ or someone in his team, I believe at some point, kind of leaked out that they offered him like 16 million a year at some point. Um, it has come out since. That, and now Buck Rising is the one I've got a credit for this. I don't know if he was the one to first report it but he at least was the first person I heard say it on, on Monday, May the 2nd, that he's heard from multiple people that AJ's team asked the Titans for 80 mil guaranteed and somewhere between 28 and $29 million a year. So if that's true, or even in the ballpark of true, he got 57 mil guaranteed from the Eagles and he asked the Titans for 80. That, that's damn near close to a $30 million gap in other words, lofty expectations were set. And here's where I think you can hypothesize and start to put together what the hell went wrong here. Again, what I'm about to say is speculation. I believe, and, and I'm sorry, I'm leaving a piece out. Buck was also told that, that AJ and his team had not spoken to the Titans for almost three weeks by the time they went into the draft. That's, that's a significant amount of time. So with all that being said, I believe something around this happened. The Titans did not enter into the draft week. I don't even think they entered into the Wednesday night before the draft, treating A.J. Brown as anything other than a player going forward on the team that it may cost them an expensive hoop-jumping, backflipping style contract to get him paid, but we're looking to try to do it. Suddenly, it turned into a hostage situation, which was – his team suddenly respond or is, you know, he being AJ Brown's representatives respond to the Titans and say, well, you know, our client wants 80 million guaranteed. And the Titans had to take stock and sit back and say, this isn't going to happen. He's now a commodity. And if we're going to get value out of him, we need to try to find a trade partner now because he's going to end up sitting out and not playing for the Titans this year. If this ridiculous amount of money they just quoted is serious. So it went from a negotiation 
to a hostage situation pretty quickly. And at that point, the Titans had to shift from this is a player and a kid we love to this is an expiring commodity that we need to try to use to gain extra picks in the draft and leverage to move forward. And that is the business part of this to where I don't think there's a lot of people out there that can separate themselves from the emotional side to the business side of letting this guy go that they loved. And I want to back that up at this point and I'll shut up. A lot of people, including myself, <coughs> excuse me, were tongue in cheek, throwing back in Vrabel's face. No one's going to trade AJ Brown while I'm the head coach or, you know, something along those lines on the Rich Eisen. So look at J-Rob's reaction when he's talking about that. I mean, that draft, you know, presser after the first night was, it looked like a hostage situation. It was like they were out there at gunpoint being told to talk about a first round pick and AJ being traded. I say all that to say this. You're looking at two guys that were so emotional, one of which was willing to stake his name by saying, not as long as I'm the head coach, is he going to be traded? Because they truly believed they were not going to have to trade him. They truly believed they had a good working and personal relationship with this kid that he was going to make a rational decision. And I think A.J. Brown's team or himself, somewhere in between there, decided to go the irrational route And the Titans had to make a move. They had to start viewing him as a commodity, and that's what happened. Well, when you hear that he's not talking, you know, did you say for three weeks? was the For three weeks. I may have that time time wrong, but it was three weeks. Let's say one to three weeks. Right. So, you know, when that starts happening, I I think what you see is a shift in what they view – A.J. Brown views his his role here and what the team is. This is not – the the team does has never and will never su- do something like this where they're they're not going to let a player dictate what they can do. Agree or disagree with that philosophy, that's just not what they're going to do. Right. And quickly, what you found was some guy that they put their neck out line for that they publicly, publicly, so publicly. <laughs> have backed and have talked up and have said that they plan to make him a Titan for life. And this guy turns around, AJ Brown turns around and cuts off communication with him. He then starts getting, you know, a little pithy on Twitter. Then of course he deletes it. He tweets something and he deletes it. At some point he went from being a Titan to not being a Titan in their eyes. And that's what I view that as is, is that he became a guy that was not about what the Tennessee Titans are about, what they instill in that locker room. It does not make it an easy decision for everybody. Well, it was an easy decision for AJ. I don't think it was a hard for AJ at all. And listen, right. Let let me say something. It shouldn't be a hard decision for AJ. And I do not, I do am not mad at AJ and AJ should go get paid. He should celebrate getting paid $57 million because that is about $17 million more than what he deserves, to be honest. So go get paid. Go get paid. And I I get that. I get from the the standpoint that we've never had, we we haven't seen on the field in a long time an alpha like AJ Brown. And arguably, obviously, I think everybody's going to agree, but there may be some people that the best wide receiver, the most talented wide receiver to come through the doors for Tennessee Titans. But let's let's put this in perspective real quick. 
first off, that's not a hard bitch mark to clear. <laughs> I mean, the, the wide receivers has been terrible. I mean, it's Derek Mason, AJ Brown, and then whoever you want to throw in from the Houston Oilers, you know, days. Right. You know, let's let's be honest. It's not a hard benchmark to clear. And let's be honest, we're not talking about a wide receiver that has gotten 1,300 yards, 1,400 yards, three seasons in a row. We're talking about a guy that's barely gotten over 1,000 yards the first two years and 800-something last year. We're talking about a guy who missed a lot of games last year and didn't finish a lot of games last year. You know, that's the part that I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about. They, they like to talk about the games missed, and then someone will say, well, it's not that really that many. You know, when you look at it, it's like four games or something, you know. But think about all the games that he had to leave early. There are some games he left on the first drive. There are games that he left, then came back and left and came back. There is an injury issue component to all this. You're talking about a guy that had two knee surgeries two off seasons ago. You're talking about a team that knows his medicals and everything. There are certain limits, and there's not a limit to the salary cap per se. The salary cap is a credit card. You can push off payments, or you can do this, or you can make half payments or whatever. You're paying that money unless you're going bankrupt at some point, right? You're paying that money. This wasn't a salary cap issue. This wasn't a Jeffrey Simmons issue. If I have to hear that one more fucking time, I'll blow my fucking brains out. It's not a Ryan Tannehill is getting paid $38 million this year issue because the extension comes next year. And guess who's getting cut more than likely next year? Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill's contract's not an issue. No 2022. This was not them choosing Harold Landry over A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown has a value to the Tennessee Titans in a vacuum in their system. They had their value set. They probably came in, lowballed it to work their way up to. You never start at your, your top dollar. You just never start. That's just not how negotiations work. You see, you, if you were in a car business and someone's trying to trade in a vehicle, you're going to lowball the value on their trade to give yourself a cushion in negotiations to get up to the appropriate value. That's what they did. And they reached up to their value. And then A.J. Brown and his team said, fuck that value. We hate that value. We're going to we, we want like 20 million more than that value. And then we'll, we'll consider doing a deal. All the while, he's out there throwing the ball around with Jalen Hurts, getting Jalen Hurts to tell his GM, hey, I'm probably not going to accept a deal over there. Go ahead and get a deal in the, in, at the ready. And then if they call you, I'll tell them to call you to trade or maybe your GM can facilitate a trade and then we'll get the deal done and I'll be over there, you know, not catching balls because you can't fucking throw them correctly in a game when it matters. And that last piece that you touched on is something that I heard and I believe it was Paul Karski say um, on Monday as well, that, that he could have easily seen he being Paul could see a scenario where AJ himself through Jalen or AJ's people or whatever, basically went and told the Eagles, dude, the Titans just offered me 16 million. And again, without the context of this is the Titans opening offer, right? Of course, we're going to lowball. I mean, they're going to try to find some middle ground. And that that probably also includes his rookie year, which means that it was really a 19 to $20 million offer in new money starting next year. Right. So he goes, he goes to Eagles. So they offered me 16 mil. That's when the communication cuts off. Now, all of a sudden, there's this behind-the-scenes negotiation going on. The Eagles now have presented him a number that sounds a lot better than what he gets. He goes back to the Titans and says, 
well, well, this is now my new number. He can't say that he's got a new deal from the Eagles because now some that's tampering, but he can just go back and say, okay, well, you know, I want 80 mil guaranteed. I want 29 million a year. And, you know, basically just taking a huge leap over a number he's been presented, quote unquote, by the Eagles. In other words, I feel like that there was a breakdown of communication. I feel like A.J. Brown's team holds a lot of fault for this. I feel like A.J. is young and wanted to get paid, and I'm glad he went and got paid. I would have done the same thing myself. I will say this piece. At the end of the day, the failure does fall on the front office, but it's with this caveat. It's much like if your kids turn out to be fuck-ups, it's a failure as a parent, right? Is it fair to blame Johnny stealing a car and flipping it upside down into a Walgreens on you? No, because Johnny's responsible for the choice he makes, but that's a failure as you as a parent. It's a failure by John Robinson in the front office, but I say it with a massive caveat of A.J. Brown's young. He wanted to get paid. A lot of people forget this. It's a 24-year-old guy. He's barely older than a kid, and he wants to get paid, and he made a choice. And And as a football player, you never know when that last game and that last snap is going to be. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's easy to look at numbers like, X million dollars and say, oh my God, I mean, this guy's going to be loaded for life. But once you, you know, figure in taxes and that kind of stuff and the fact that, I mean, how long has AJ been playing now? Three years? Yeah. What if something catastrophic happens to him next season, the season after? Now all of a sudden he's living off of the contract he's already earned for the rest of his life. I know a lot of people are laughing and rolling their eyes and saying, oh my God, I can make 30 million last for the rest of my life. Well, I could too. But athletes spend different and whatever. I don't want to go to that. Athletes spend a lot of money on their moms, their dads, the people that raised them, sisters, families, you know, there, there's a whole, uh, an athlete has an entirely different ecosystem than say me living in the suburbs and me getting $30 million suddenly. Me getting $30 million is is a lot different than an athlete who is, feeding, funding a bunch of other people who had who's got a lavish lifestyle, mortgages to pay, cars to buy, and it's not just one mortgage. People think it's just one mortgage. He's probably got multiple mortgages right now at this point. Right. Or he's at least funding other people to get mortgages. You got to take you got to remember the NFL and the people that in, are in the NFL that are athletes are an entirely different category of life and an entirely different way of daily routines because you equating you know to anything to this you'll you you can't you personally cannot equate anything to this from that standpoint you have to look at it from the view of the the team you have to look at the view of the agent and the player and that agent is still representing a bunch of other wide receivers that are about to get paid. So he is definitely going to play hardball because I guarantee you this. I said this on a football show on Monday, which you can go get on YouTube at the 440 Sports YouTube page, or you can go to Twitter, my Twitter, Broadway's Twitter. We all have the video there too. And it's on a podcast form. I said that you can now not have to be fined and hold out. Deshaun Watson changed the game, and I hate saying his name because he's a he's a person that does not deserve anything that he got as far as that $200 million 
or anything. My personal thing aside, looking at it from the business, he changed the game by showing up to Texans practice in sweats, doing a little walkthrough and getting his little picture taken on the sideline and then going back inside once the actual practice started and avoided getting fines. He also forced them to carry him on the 53-man roster, and he doesn't get fined if they declare him inactive on game day. Yep. Team players now have leverage in holdouts because of Deshaun Watson. So if you don't think this agent is going to be telling him, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, I think he may represent Terry McLaurin too, but I'm not sure. He's going to say Debo Samuel is probably just going to show up and in sweats, go back in, not get fined. And this whole thing that, well, they could just, well, they'll fine them. Well, first off, I just debunked that. Second off, well, the, what, they could just franchise tag them. What good is that? What good is now after a whole year of you having a disgruntled player, tagging the player and making them even more disgruntled, what good is that? Because now you've lost all leverage in a trade. You've guaranteed him a contract if you franchise tag him, and you've lost all, all leverage in trade. The highest value that you could have gotten for A.J. Brown was right now. Because let me tell you the scenario was going to be, he's holding out. He's not playing a snap for the Tennessee Titans. That's what he fucking said. Nothing's going to change that. And that's your delusional thinkings that a franchise tag means anything anymore as far as a bargaining chip after a player holds out for a whole season. And you might as well just shove the fines story up your ass because Deshaun Watson, again, changed the game for everybody. He's changed the game multiple times. You're seeing players now demand more guaranteed money. You're going to see a shift into more NBA-style contracts, MLB contracts with more fully guaranteed money. The NFL has to adapt and change to this new way and get rid of these escrow accounts that prevent them from holding all these franchises from holding a lot of money in the thing. It's just there's so much that goes into the A.J. Brown thing. It's not just pay him because Super Bowl window. It's not because of that. Pay him because he's the best wide receiver. You just can't. You know who does that? That's Mickey Loomis. You're being the Saints, and you're paying I – mean, I get that A.J. Brown's better than Taysom Hill, but they do bad overpay contracts all the time, do bad contracts all the time, and it has not worked out for them. John Robinson has the health of the franchise in mind when turning down this deal. Well, and usually what you hear with players, this just popped in my head, but every player gets in front of a microphone and says, I want to win a ring. I'm here to win a championship. That's exactly what A.J. Brown said to his the other day for the Eagles, and good for him. But you usually hear older players who are at the end of their playing career that start ring hunting, right? right. I'm going to X team because I feel like the Super Bowl window's open and I feel like that they can actually win a ring, blah, blah, blah. I want to try to contribute. That's usually because they're on their last leg. They know they're on their last leg. They know they're not necessarily going to get paid top money, so they are ring hunting. I want to bring this piece up, though, Zach. It's This goes back to what you and I say constantly on here, which is... Give me a break. Play, the, well, that, but these players, these coaches, they don't know you. They're not your friend. They don't give a shit what you think overall. I, I know for a fact, not for a fact, but I think you can glean by reading AJ's tweets before he deletes them 86 seconds later, which is he clearly let some people get under his skin, fans, whatever. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they don't know you, they don't owe you anything, and they don't give a shit. And I say this carefully because 
I don't want to bemoan and make fun of people who buy jerseys and get tattoos and all that stuff too hard because we all make economic decisions that we're not proud of. I'll give you an example. I bought a Samsung tablet a couple of years ago. It's a very nice tablet. Zach, I think I've used this thing eight times. And every time I see it sitting in this box in my office, I just, I just laugh because I'm like, why did I spend money on the things literally sitting here doing nothing? So people are posting pictures of their signed AJ Brown jersey, signed AJ Brown memorabilia. I'm not bemoaning you making that purchase. I'm just saying make these choices knowing that you're disposing of that money the second you get rid of it because that player does not give a fuck how many pieces of memorabilia they've signed for people or how much begging you do on Twitter to stay. They're going to make economically hopefully what makes sense for them at the moment for their life it has and, nothing and don't get to do anybody with else to buy it we we don't want <laughs> yeah, it yeah i hate that maybe you need to be doing a and listen shame on ramon for trying to facilitate remote foster for trying to facilitate that guy to who somehow has a red titans jersey signed by aj brown which makes me question jerseys. the validity of that that autograph right. by the way um but shame on remote for trying to get listen that guy, the help he needed was his wife or a husband or a mom or a dad saying, honey, put the mouse down. We are not clicking and buying this A.J. Brown signed autograph jersey. I, I so Blake Tucker on Twitter said, you should subscribe by the second contract rule and only buy a jersey after they get their second contract. And point. I think that's a good point, and I think yeah. it's a good idea, and that's a lesson everybody can can use from now on because this is not a hometown discount market anymore in the NFL. The older guys will, but these new guys coming in, it's not a hometown discount market. These guys can say they're until they're blue in the face, two-tone blue in the face, that they are Titan for life and they want to retire Titan. Money, green is the most important color not the color of the jersey well we've spent almost 40 minutes on aj oh my god have we really yeah we really have but i gotta ask this question before we move on because i I am i do want to know this who do you think has the harder path forward aj brown proving that the move he made to the eagles it was in his best interest that he's as good as he says he is and that he can produce for the eagles or the Titans proving to their fans, you know, proving the organization that moving on from AJ was the correct move. In other words, is it easier for the Titans to try to replace AJ or is it easier for AJ to live up to the hype? Ooh, that is, that's a good question. And, and here's, here's what I'll say to that is. I think, I think AJ Brown is heading to a very, very difficult situation. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense had the 36. They were dead last in pass attempts, dead last in pass attempts. So while AJ Brown is going to steal targets from everybody else, I don't know if this whole just actually changes the philosophy that people think. And first off, it's Jalen Hurts because then Jalen Hurts is, is putrid. But I don't know if this changes the whole philosophy as much as everybody thinks it will. Secondly, he's going to Philadelphia. He's all he already couldn't take Titans Twitter. He yeah. already couldn't take the Titans media. He is gonna 
hate Philadelphia that first time that he he shows up with an injury uh, on a on the report and all this stuff. When he starts missing games, they'll eat him alive because of the money they're paying him. But the reason why John Robinson and the Titans have an easier situation is because they're heading into more cap-friendly years. There'll be other players available. They have a young nucleus to build around. Though Malik Willis bought them a lot of goodwill at pick, I think. And on top of that, Amy Adams-Strunk has the full faith in both of them. So in my opinion, they John Robinson and them have a little bit easier time with with their situation than maybe AJ Brown will. And both can be true. I mean, AJ Brown could fail in Philly and the Titans could fail to replicate his, you know, it could have been um, that they belonged together to succeed. There's a good chance that they, that both of them end up looking like idiots. In 20, 2036, John Robbins is going to be sitting somewhere with his feet dangling in the water. And he just looks down and he tweets AJ Brown. Hey baby, it was fun. Yeah, those were the good <laughs> we, old days. We did have a good time, didn't we? Yeah. You can't, you can't say we didn't have a good time. We've been talking about this shit for 41 minutes. I've got to move on. Um, Let's move on to something even more infuriating. Ryan Tannehill. I will say I think that 40 minutes is probably the most interesting takes that you'll get and the best perspective you'll get about A.J. Brown. Well, because Just to tune our own horns because we're geniuses. I'll tune our own horns because... I don't want to be the person who says shit in front of this mic and does the opposite on Twitter. I've tried to get better about not just tweeting from the hip about every little thing because you end up with, yeah, you got the shame of people retweeting your stuff. Oh, what a dumbass you are four days later. I am a dumbass. I'm the one that said on Thursday night that this could cost J Rob his career. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree to that. I do think that it is a failing on the front office, but you got to wait for context and a lot more context came out later. And that context does not paint AJ Brown in the greatest light. Go do your thing, go get paid. But I didn't know that stuff Thursday night. And now that you read more about it, I get it. What the hell, what the hell is this team supposed to do? Um, all right. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. He had a press conference on Tuesday, May the 3rd, by the time you're listening to this. And uh, let the heavens rejoice, he talked. And he answered some (laughs) very interesting questions. And you know what? For every single person that always says the press asks the lamest shit and these players always give the lamest answers, you didn't really get a lot of lame answers today. You actually got a lot of honesty. And you got a lot of a few good questions, I would say. I would say there's probably. There were probably two stinkers of a question that, you know, we could have passed on. So I want to, I want to reference three points. Point number one, uh, lo and behold, exactly what you and I hypothesized on this podcast, the sponsored Celsius tweet was a fishing trip from March. It was a scheduled tweet. I don't think he said that someone else treated it for him. It doesn't really matter, but we speculated that he had someone handling his social media account, that it was a scheduled tweet, and we don't know when the picture was taken. Well, God almighty, look who ended up telling the truth. You don't, Twitter is not the real world, okay? Twitter is a minuscule glimpse into what someone may be thinking and is probably adding a lot of bullshit to it. There's this whole Instagram effect about, I don't know, therapists or psychologists are looking into if if Instagram is actually harming younger people because all they're seeing is this over-the-top, happy, sexy lifestyle that everyone has on Instagram, right? When what they don't see is 
people getting diarrhea in a third world country because they ate something <laughs> because they don't understand the local flora and fauna, right? So uh, Twitter is much the same way. You can't look at that tweet and say, this son of a bitch is out fishing right now. He just tweeted this. That picture was taken weeks before that tweet went out. So I just, I got to start there. It does not surprise me. And for the people that were on Twitter bemoaning him about this guy's out fishing during offseason camp, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And it was funny because, you know, PK asked him something. He goes, just because I was down there doesn't mean I wasn't working out, wasn't running, wasn't growing, wasn't (laughs) doing this. Like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, anybody with common sense would know that I, it's one of the questions I don't think that needed to be asked, but you know, I, I get the, I get the understanding that you, I guess you got to ask, but I like that it was asked. I honestly yeah. do because I'm, it, I like the petty side of if, if it can shame people posting stupid stuff on Twitter, ask it, you're just going to ask stupid stuff anyway. So ask that stupid stuff. My my th- my favorite response and or I, I if I were a player if I was in Ryan Tannehill's shoes and someone asked me do you think that your thirty eight million dollar contract prevented the AJ Brown deal from getting done I would look at them and go well you know Vin Marino right and that person would probably say yes because they're obviously in the media core I'd say why don't you go ask them they didn't sit, send their accountants down to let me in on their plan they didn't tell me that they were going to draft Malik Willis they didn't tell me that the AJ Brown trade was going to happen. Why would they tell me about their accounting side and, and all this stuff? I don't know. I don't care because it's my money. I could negotiated it two years ago. That's what you should have said. I get a little bit more angry, I think, with people on there. You know, when they ask a question that is just, that is just you know, downright just doesn't even matter because obviously the Tannehill deal didn't affect anything with the A.J. Brown deal. But I, I wish that, you know, they would direct them like how I direct people to like Ryan Watson, you know, I'll say, well, you'll have to talk to our HR specialist, human resource specialist at Ryan, <laughs> or please email human resources at effortspod.com. They should direct them to the people that matter because guess what? They're probably not going to get talked to Vin Marino anyway. So Ryan Tannehill that went on to talk about that. And, and I don't know what the question was asked, but he talked about the, the Bengals playoff loss. And that it put him in a dark place and then he needed weeks of therapy to kind of pull him out of that dark place. I saw a lot of real shitty comments online about oh, people that don't believe him. People don't believe him. Someone tweeted out a really good comparison, which was AJ Brown opens up about therapy. Oh my God, look how strong this guy is. It's so brave of him to open up about mental illness. Ryan Tannehill opens up about going to therapy. What a pussy. He can't get his life in order. You yeah. know, here's, this is what really bugs me about people attacking someone who's trying to be honest with you. A, what did I just open up this whole rant saying, which was people always bemoan coaches and athletes for giving the most benign answers. I'm one of them. I think most press conferences are a complete waste of time, but he actually gave an honest answer and showed you the fan, whether you like him or not, that this shit bugged him. That it bugged him so bad, he had to go sit in front of a therapist to try to figure it out. And I'll follow that up with this. If you're the type of person that looks down on somebody for going to therapy, you need therapy. Because the whole point of therapy is to identify a flaw in your psyche, identify whether or not it can be fixed, or if you can eliminate it, or try to make it work better to promote your life, and then learn and get better from it. Is that not what you want from a quarterback? If we've been sitting here talking about that, it, it was it a mental thing that caused him to throw picks? Did he just kind of lose his gathering to be a competent quarterback in that game? 
Do you not want your quarterback to come back to you and say, yes, it bothered me so bad. I sought out third party help to try to find a way to mentally erase that kind of shit. I just, I don't know. I, you want honesty. This man gave you honesty. I'm not trying to say you have to like Ryan Tannehill. I'm not trying to say it diminishes the fact that he knows he lost that playoff game. I'm just saying that this man just showed you and told you that he had to go to therapy because it bugs him so bad. You have to like that honesty. You don't have to like the man. You've got to love that honesty though. That's the kind of shit that I love getting out of a press conference. This man just went vulnerable with you and tried to tell you, that he had to go get mental help to figure this out. That's a beautiful thing. You should like that. There, there not, is a, not, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me say this. Not like that. He had to go get therapy for this. I, I don't want to like that. Someone is so you should like, he couldn't sleep. Out. You losers. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying you should like that. This guy was willing to bear a piece of his soul and tell you that because when's the last time someone looked at you and admitted going to therapy, most people don't. Uh, I got so, there's so many layers to this, and I've tried to write down notes so I can probably stay on track and remember everything I want to say. I never. I, I think at this point, I think at this point, if you are first and foremost one of the people that your first instinct when he bared his soul like that and told you about that, your first instinct was he's disingenuous. That seems like a convenient scapegoat kind of excuse. That says more about you than it does about Ryan Tannehill. First and foremost, that's what I think. Secondly, I, I think that it's kind of crazy to me, and I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised about this, but maybe it's not crazy. I find it hilarious that for we have spent the last two to three months telling people that it does not matter what he says. He's going to give you a coach and canned response. You didn't get that. You got something way better, and people still aren't happy. I find it funny that people claimed that he wasn't a leader because he didn't step up right away and say how much that loss bothered him. And, and then he, the whole thing went down, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the phase one of OTAs or whatever, voluntary workouts. He didn't show up. He's dodging it. And we want to hear from T Ryan Tannehill how this loss affected him. And then you get that. You get logical, emotional reasons as to why Ryan Tannehill has stayed away, why he has chosen to stay with his family, to train in Florida where he is comfortable, his safe space, his mental safe space, and recharge and get his mind right. You get everything you wanted, and you still find a way to shit on him. Yeah. For that part, we're, we're not even into the mentorship part yet. You still find a way to shit <laughs> I am okay if you do not think that Ryan Tannehill can take this team to the Super Bowl. I am perfectly fine if you do not like Ryan Tannehill, the player, and feel like his playoff performances are disaster, and you have to see it to believe it in the playoffs, to believe in yeah. Ryan Tannehill again. I am right there with you guys. But what I am trying to fight against is this idea that this shit some of this shit that people are mad at over Ryan Tannehill matters that some of it even translate to on the field that even the players care about it in WI Nick Westbrook right before Ryan Tannehill gets on there talks about his leadership specifically and talks about that Ryan Tannehill is the kind of guy that he won't make you do something without he himself doing it with you and we'll get to that later in the mentorship part but 
you guys have to let some things go because they they aren't big in the big scheme of things. Volu- like we said, him coming to voluntary workouts was not big in the it was not an important deal. Really talking after not talking in between all these this time, not really a big deal. Him doing the Celsius and the 20 questions, not a big deal. You guys got to make it a big deal because my restraining order of the week are you guys and Twitter. Put your phones down, go outside, breathe some fresh air, go get on a patio, enjoy some sun, go watch a soccer game, go watch, you know, some concerts or something. Get out of Twitter. You guys have become so involved on Titans Twitter, which is great. It's great for us, right? I mean, obviously. But you guys think that you're a part of the team and you guys are too emotionally invested. V-Love was right. There's a large segment of Titans Twitter that needs to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. And that's coming from a guy myself that has gone to therapy for depression, that struggles with depression, that understands I can sympathize with the – I can find a sim- sympathetic point of view with what Ryan Tano is going through. I There's been times where I just shut down for months, and I just don't really want to hang out and talk to people or anything. It happens. You know, that that is life. To think – to just jump to the conclusion that's just so disingenuous is crazy and – I think people are starting to confuse that they know what a leader is. There is something different. There, there's a good way to be an effective leader, and there's all kinds of different ways that you can be an effective leader. Your strict definition of leadership is not the one that everybody has to abide by. And I think that Ryan Tainhill, by all accounts, all accounts, is an effective leader. I mean, it's well said. And then he turns around and says that it is not his job to mentor oh Malik Willis. I mean, what was it you said we opened up? Or, or I said he's got, he does not do himself any favors. He and and I, listen, it's a heat of the moment. These guys aren't yeah. trained. Let's be honest. They should, they need PR consultants for players that like, sit there with flashcards and ask them questions about what's going on or update them with what's going on on Twitter, what's being said or something. I I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but these guys sometimes are so woefully unprepared for press conferences. And could he have not picked any worse words to say? And, and, and in the end, it doesn't mean anything. He has, he's not saying anything that any other player hasn't said, including like Joe Montana. I think Joe Montana and Steve Young was the first instance of a young quarterback coming in and, and the older quarterback saying, fuck you, sit on the bench, I'm not helping you. Okay, I think that was the first instance. This is not news. And, and listen, it's not his job to be a mentor. Let me say something. For all the, the people that are mad that Julio's not a mentor or that uh, Tannehill's not a mentor to, and he said that, are the people that don't think Tannehill's any good. So if you don't think he's any good, why do you want him mentoring the guy? Right. Okay, first off. Second off, let's all remember that Julio came in and mentored A.J. Brown. We know Julio is all about money and all about contracts and getting paid. Just saying, look what's happened. Just you don't saying. think Julio, you don't think Julio had an, any part in any influence whatsoever in maybe giving A.J. Brown this advice? 
I have no proof to back it up, and I absolutely believe that's. What I, I think it's. I think it's a plausible theory out there. I, I I think people are confusing mentoring and ignoring, or not mentoring and right. ignoring him. And Teresa was trying to explain it to Nate Washington, who I think I don't know if Nate Washington is just being dense and willfully ignorant, or if he is just trolling. Because he is a troll on Twitter, former wide receiver Nate Washington. She was explaining to him that he'll be on the sidelines at practice talking to Malik. He'll be showing him through the motions. He'll be talking to him. He's just, he's basically not going to say, hey, you know, here's how you can overtake my job. And it's not his job to get Tannehill or to get Malik Willis ready. It is the coach's job. And this comes directly from former coaches on that were on a podcast of the 33rd team, I think is what it was called, or maybe the 33rd man, but it's a podcast with former GMs, coaches, and all that kind of stuff. And they talk about that it is the quarterback coach's job to get a coach, and they were specifically talking about Malik Willis and how to get him prepared, to find reps after practice or reps in practice that are quality reps to get him prepared to start. That is not Tannehill's job. Tannehill's job is not to hold his hand and show him, you know, when Malik Willis asks him a question, Ryan Tannehill is going to answer it. When Malik Willis says, okay, so what'd you see on that play? Ryan Tannehill is going to answer it or show him. That stuff's going to happen. Just be, listen, you know who said that he wasn't going to be a mentor and was uh, Brett Favre. How'd that turn out for Aaron Rodgers? Pretty good. You know who turned around? and said that he is going to be a mentor to Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Do you know who actively tried to keep Jimmy Garoppolo down the whole time he was there? Tom Brady. Do you know that Ben Roethlisberger also came out and said that he wasn't going to be a mentor? And I know that Ben Roethlisberger, the person, isn't that great of a person to aspire to be or anything. But at, behind the scenes, all the quarterbacks have said what a great leader and what a great experience and how much they learned from Big Ben Roethlisberger. But how can that happen if he said he wasn't going to be a mentor? It's because it's just fucking words and it's the wrong words. And it does not fall on him to do this, does not fall on the player to do this stuff. Get a grip. I just, I am just so sick of it. Right now, we are living in a time, Lebowski. And I've been I've been trying to work this into the podcast. I'm working into the podcast right here. <laughs> we're we're living in a time where revisionist history has changed everything about the uh, the Marcus era. You know, you, his stands felt like they were the minority. They now feel like they were the minority back then. When when people would come out and say anything, any kind of negativity, they were the minority, and that was the majority. Well, you guys, listen, if I put out a tweet that said Marcus, you know, went three for five or three for 11 for 79 yards and, you know, two interceptions in a game. Those stands would come in droves and say, well, this is why, this is why, this is why, blah, 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 blah. You guys were not the ones that were being attacked during the Mariota Wars, the Marcus Wars. The, the the and we weren't really anti Marcus as much as realistic Marcus people, right? We were being very realistic in our approach and our viewpoint of him. And now, all those people 
have now turned into anti Tannehill people. And now anything that he does, they're just going to be pissed off about it and everything. And like I said, I'm realistic about my expectations. Like I was realistic about Marcus at the end of his Titans tenure. I am very skeptical at this point in time that Tannehill is anything in the playoffs until I see it happen. Just like I was with Marcus in the regular season. But I can also understand and separate what is going on all around this. And what is going on right now is that people are making a big deal out of nothing constantly. Yeah. And it's, it, I completely agree that Daniel can't get out of his own way with some of this stuff and that really players need to go, they need to go find coaching to do pressers and just think about the context of what they're about to say. But I, I really want to remind Titans fans and, and just NFL fans in general that they're just trying to be honest with you and, and say honest things. And you're taking every little piece of what a player says or a coach says and dissecting it and blowing it up for days and having a field day with it. Imagine if that was someone doing it to every email you wrote, every text you sent, every Snapchat shit you put on, you know, how Snapchat works, but I, <laughs> it just, I mean, change, change the way you look at these things and think about how you would feel if someone was taking your life and dissecting this again, because before you tell me that I'm overreacting, this is an entertainment product. You're watching grown men play a children's game and you're getting this worked up over it. So just step back from the bottle, get a little therapy and stop overreacting about what every single one of these guys have to get up there and say, he made a mistake in saying that mentorship does not mean he's going to agree him. And you know what? I'll say this. If you're anti Tannehill and you, you want Malik Willis to play as soon as possible, then you better hope that Ryan Tannehill was telling the truth about not mentoring and actually minted as I'm going to ignore him. You better hope he slaps a sandwich out of his mouth every time he sees it, because it's hopefully it turns him into another Aaron Rodgers. Listen, I, he I just, sent a text and called the guy, you know, all these other quarterbacks. Now listen, Brett Favre probably didn't even know how to work a phone back then to text. Um, but a lot of these guys, they they didn't even do that. They completely ignored the guy. Uh, look at what Aaron Rodgers did after right. they drafted Jordan Love. So give me a fucking break. The Tannehill is some piece of shit for not for doing what he's doing when he's up there answering questions. He listen. He showed up to to practice and he's not whining. I mean, he said that he didn't get called, but he's not whining about it to the public. He's not going on Pat McAfee's show wearing a dumbass shirt and talking about eating clay and how much he's unhappy that the Packers drafted a quarterback. He's going and doing his job. Hey, guess what? That's what the leader a leader does. A, I don't know how many more examples that people need to see that this guy is a leader and they're seeing it in front of their face. I mean, literally today, and you know I love Jonathan Hutton, but in the same breath on Outkick today, and I had to immediately turn it off because I, I was just getting too angry over these words that were being said. <laughs> he said in the same breath, Ryan Tannehill has shown that he's not a leader, and I bet he's mentoring uh, Logan Woodside. Where where are we at, people? Like, what, what are these words that are coming out of people's mouths? And it's happening everywhere. That's just one example, but it's happening everywhere. At, at some point, people got to take a breath and think about the words that you're saying. He's a bad leader, but he's mentoring someone. Okay, so those two things don't work. 
And second off, you think he's mentoring? You really think that he's mentoring Logan Woodside? No, Logan Woodside's doing his own thing. He's just happy to be here. He ain't looking for Ryan Daniel to be his mentor at this point. Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, another mentorship pairing that never happened. Uh, uh, you got um, Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco. That didn't happen. I mean, it's the the list is endless, people. This is not a new thing. This is not a groundbreaking thing. It's been around since the 80s and early 90s. Nobody's going to mentor a guy that's coming in to hope to probably take his job. That's because you know why? Because this guy's got money and he's got a livelihood. He's going through renovations at his house right now. He's got shit going on in his life. He needs that money. Um, we've now crossed the hour mark <laughs> and we have, we've covered two topics. We haven't even talked about the draft. So I can, I can be real quick there. on the draft. I promise. Yeah, I, 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 we'll, <laughs> Do you believe we'll me? Just say, we'll just, no, I don't because we, we just spent an hour and four minutes talking about two subjects, but, um, best, your favorite pick for, from the Titans, uh, your most disliked pick. And I want to reserve it to the actual picks, not undrafted free agents. Okay, so my, my my favorite pick is tied between Malik Willis and Kyle Phillips. I, I like both the value that both those things present. I yeah. like that Kyle Phillips in the fifth round is going to be a chain-moving wide receiver lining up in the slot. I think that he's going to do a lot of good, and maybe I'm, I'm putting up my expectations way too early, but I like what I see on tape. I, li- I think that he is a faster, more efficient Tajay Sharp in the sense that on third downs, Ryan Tannehill is going to be looking at him because he'll be in the right place at the right time. And he has more play strength and athletic ability than Tajay Sharp to actually create separation. You're talking about a guy that's going to be in space and eat it up. You're talking about a guy that is going to come in as a rookie. And I estimate at least 475 yards and five touchdowns. He's a red zone weapon too. I love the value. And of course, Malik Willis is Malik Willis. I'm a, a massive Malik Willis fan. He had the most fun tape I've ever seen. Talking about a guy that is throwing 50-yard bombs. You, he did a 20-yard shuffle pass through the air. After getting out of a tackle, the guy has talent for days, and hopefully Sean O'Hara and uh, Tim Kelly will be able to get the most out of him. So that those would be my best picks. I'm my most favorite. Uh, your least favorite. Uh, that would have to be Hassan Haskins and Theo Jackson. It's not that I dislike Theo Jackson. I just think that he's a priority free agent kind of safety. There was no one wrote a pros- prospect profile on Theo Jackson because he was like the 68th ranked safety. So drafting him in the sixth round made no sense. But from everything I've heard, he's going to be, should be a coachable and good role player to have. And I, so I'm not really disliking the player. I'm just disliking the value of the pick. The other one is Hassan Haskins. Unless you're looking at Justin Mello's big board, every big board has him outside of the top 10 running backs. It's not a very good value. I get that it's possibly a need if Derrick Henry were to go down, but he doesn't have explosive athleticism that really gets you know gets you going and keeps you up at night if you're a defense. I, I, I think that he's going to be a fine player, but he is a player – that is probably not going to push Derrick Henry out unless the plan is that you're going to replace Derrick Henry with Hassan Haskins and another running back because he's got to be part of a running back by committee, in my opinion. My least favorite is probably not fair only because, look, I've made it very adamant that I don't like mock drafts. I don't really watch a lot of players in college to know, but I haven't seen a lot out of Hassan Haskins to make me warrant why he's a fourth-round overall pick. So, Take that with a grain of salt. I don't know much about the guy. I just didn't wasn't terribly impressed with all the 
footage he had out there. <clears throat> and again, I'm biased to shit, but my favorite only because I don't want to go with Malik and just repeat right exactly what Zach just said, which is um, Chance Campbell. Uh, I spent as an Ole Miss fan watching that defense play like trash all year and give up so many damn points to everyone. And Chance Campbell was one of the few players on defense who was just all over the damn field. And I really like, uh, I don't know, I just like watching him play. I think he's one of those sixth round picks that, you know, will end up providing a, a lot of use to the Titans. So I'm a little biased. I'm an Ole Miss fan, but I think the I really like the pick, out. by the way. I think that's yeah. a really good pick. Yeah, I, th- I think he's a damn good pick. Overall, um, I don't really have an issue with the players to bring it in. I just maybe have issues with the value slash strategy involved right. in acquiring those players. Uh, look, we got, I say this is my Achilles heel. I know that it's going to curse me as soon as I say it, but I promise you, we're going to have a lot of time to fill for offseason. So we will definitely get in depth with these players, especially because we've got rookie mini camps coming up in a couple of weeks. And, you know, so we're going to get to see just a bare, you know, a little bit before we go into the summer. So we'll definitely get into depth on those. Um, but it is also time for us to talk about F1 for probably about 90 seconds because we got to go. But it's Formula One and other F words. We're off to Miami this week. The race is on Mother's Day, so I will not be able to attend and watch anything. But we are live. all coming to your house, to your uh, parents, please, to your mom's just house. Just show up to my mother's house, and then we're just going to ignore my mother on Mother's Day and watch racing. <laughs> but um, I, I'm interested in this Miami race. A lot of people were trying to compare it to the, oh, they just put it in a parking lot like Vegas tried to do in the 80s, and it was a disaster. Go look at a map of the course. It actually looks like a really nice, awesome, laid-out course. Um five uh about 550 kilometers i don't know what that translates to mileage i don't i don't speak britain but um it's also got three drs zones it should be a nice fast track uh i'm interested to see this i, I really am excited to have some racing back it's been a couple of weeks since we've gotten a live race um but miami combined with ferrari doing well and mercedes is still kind of struggling with that car i'm really interested to see what these teams have done in the last two weeks yeah, I, I tell you what I'm most interested in, and this is a big thing about Miami that I really like, and I wish more uh, these were a little bit more accessible for every team, but I yeah. am loving the gear, the, the clothing, the everything, the, 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 <sighs> the logos, everything that they are doing Miami style, the colors, the, the neon colors and everything. I'm loving it. I want them available all year long. I want Titans gear in Miami colored stuff because yes. I always like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about those, but, you know, when the Miami Heats, you know, do those um, kind of like tropical looking jerseys sometimes, I think they're so cool looking. It's like the neon neon behind you, but in different colors. And the neon uh, hat, Titans draft hat, is my favorite hat that they've made. I love that stuff. I want that stuff available all year long and more accessible in the F1 shops. It's hard to find F1 gear, really. But I'm loving you- everything about this weekend. Have you seen the Haas Miami? Um, it's like GTA Vice City, the the video game cover that they redid into the Miami Grand Prix race. Yeah, week I think that's Montre- great. It's so good. I, I really, I want this on a shirt. It's absolutely beautiful, but I agree with you. I really like that they're leaning into the Miami theme and more people should do it. Um, but tune in and watch. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, why in the hell are these guys talking about F1? Do yourself a favor, get on Netflix and start watching Drive to Survive and then come back to us in a week and apologize. So um, that's going to do it for us today. We actually had a lot more to get to and we just weren't able to do it. But 
Um, that's when you get, when you get someone who wants to talk to your face off for 45 minutes about AJ Brown. So um, we love you all. And we want you to have the best content possible. Uh, it's football and other efforts. Appreciate you tuning in as always. Please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends and family that you listen to us. And say these guys are idiots and you should tune in and listen to them try to half-ass talk about therapy. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us today. You've just been after. Broadway Sports Media Production.